Greetings, I'm Keith Klein, the host of the VentureFizz podcast, where I interview the most fascinating people in the tech scene. This is episode 173, and today's guest is Carlos Cashman, co-CEO and co-founder of Thrasio. Carlos is the definition of a serial entrepreneur. He has started over 10 companies, and many of which have exited. I first learned about Carlos back around the year 1999 as I was still cutting my teeth as a recruiter during the Internet 1.0 era. He was the founder of a company called Opus 360, a professional services automation software company that went public. After numerous startups later like Course Advisor, APT, Orion CKB, and others, his latest venture is Thrasio, which could be the biggest opportunity yet. Thrasio is the fastest growing acquirer of Amazon FBA businesses, that being fulfillment by Amazon businesses. The company recently closed $110 million in financing at a valuation of almost $800 million, and the company is just a couple of years old. As you'll hear from our discussion, it is a business that just makes sense in terms of how they are leveraging their knowledge from previous companies to build this consumer company at such a rapid pace. In this episode of our podcast, we cover lots of great topics, like Carlos's background and his unique major at MIT, the story of Opus 360 and why he decided to travel cross-country on a motorcycle afterwards, a journey through lots of the companies that Carlos has started, a deep dive into Thrasio and its business model, advice for founders during the acquisition process, and so much more. Okay, quick side note. Did you know that every Monday morning, we send out two weekly digest emails? There's one for Boston and one for New York. It is your weekly email to stay connected to all the must-know information from the local tech scene. It includes information on companies, jobs, events, deals, and more. Go to venturefizz.com backslash email and look for the weekly tech buzz to sign up. All right, without further ado, here's my interview with Carlos. Carlos, thanks so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. Great to be here. So we've got a lot to talk about. You're, you know, what I consider the definition of a serial entrepreneur. You've started multiple companies. I mean, 10, 15, maybe even more than that. And which, <laughs> I sent you a long list. <laughs> yeah. And I was like, wow. And, you know, many of which have exited. So it's a tremendous track record. And your latest company, Thrasio, you know, recently raised a major round of financing at a tremendous valuation. So we're going to talk a lot about that. But, you know, the first time I think I heard your name, like you didn't know me, but I think I, the first time I heard your name was Opus 360. So I started. Really? Like, yeah. So my recruiting career, I started in 98 and um, I, you know, was just cold calling people. And, you know, one of the, one of the people that I was cold calling at PricewaterhouseCoopers was this woman, Fumi Kondo. And she ended up joining Opus 360. Yes, Fumi was great. Yeah. Yeah. So <laughs> yeah, she joined. I love Fumi. She was awesome. She joined Opus 360 and called me. It was like, hey, I need to hire people for this team that I'm building for this professional services automation company. And uh, that was kind of like how I heard about your name and, you know, CEO of Opus 360 and the company went public. So, um, so I just thought that you was kind of come to join us, man. Jeez. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that would have been awesome. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, well, let's, let's talk about your background, kind of the background story of, of you and your upbringing. So where did you grow up? You know, what were you like as a child? Um, well, <laughs> first seven years in uh, St. Louis, a little town outside of St. Louis called Kirkwood, um, and then moved. So most of my growth you know, after that was in Tulsa, Oklahoma, man. So it was uh, an interesting place to be. So it was, it, this is kind of a funny story I like to tell, but um, I was born in Peoria. 
and then moved to Tulsa where I did most of my growing up. And I don't know if you remember, but there was a phrase in advertising they used to say, will it play in Peoria? Because Peoria was the most average city in America on all metrics, just totally average. And then after a few years, you know what became the most average city in America? Tulsa. <laughs> so <laughs> somehow I am like this confluence. I've been in the most average. So I always tell my friends when I'm getting into something, it's going to be the next big fad because <laughs> I just have average taste and interests, I guess. But uh, no, look, I was, uh, I was, you know, entrepreneurial as a kid. People always ask that. I always, you know, I tried to make a buck, whether it was always preferably on my own rather than like I had a job at, a, you know, we all had to be a bus boy at one point or a waiter or something like that. Right. I worked at a restaurant at a steak and ale and I hated that. And uh, so the rest of the time, like I would mow lawns or I, uh, I tutored SAT services, stuff like that. But um, yeah, look, I've been into it's it's funny. I've been into business since I was very young because my dad was a banker and he would leave Business Week and Forbes laying around. So I've been reading those since I could read um, in the Wall Street Journal. Right. And it just, you know, I was most in, I guess, over time. <laughs> How did you get into like technology? Like what was your first computer and you ended up at MIT? You can get the first computer could probably be a guess for someone born in the early seventies, right? It was uh, Apple II and it was at my school. Yep. They had an Apple II at school. And then one of my, one of my best friends had an Apple IIe, right? So that's, I actually learned to program basic, you know, we, we got crazy into it. And while other kids were outside playing at lunch, for a while recess i remember for a couple months we were going in there teaching ourselves basic to try to make a dot move across the screen and this was like fourth grade like fifth grade right uh, but then my first computer was around that time it was a commodore vic 20 man oh yeah like, i don't know if you know yeah. those oh yeah like i like lots of successful founders now like that was their first computer definitely well, the VIC-20 and this Commodore 64, it's bigger, brother. I couldn't afford that one. The VIC-20 came with 3K and a tape drive that was just so error-prone, it was, it was almost useless to, for cassette tapes to store stuff. I mean, it is insane, like, how much more powerful this watch is than, you know, the Commodore VIC-20. But it was a great computer. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Mine was uh, the Texas Instruments TI-994A. Uh, yes. So yeah. that was fascinating. The TI-99 and the Commodore VIC-20 um, shared a version of BASIC. Um, so you could actually port programs between them. And there was actually a commonality in the graphical design on those and that you would, you would have to go in and redesign the, um, the uh, keys on the keyboard. Like if you wanted to have your own graphics, you would go into the, well, essentially they called it the ROM, but it wasn't really, right? But you would reprogram the H to be like a smiley face, right? Mm -hmm. So then you could move an H around the screen, but it was fine. And the TII worked the same way on these little eight by eight grids, I remember. So we would make all these characters on these little grids and then we'd share them between my buddy with the TII and my, my VIC-20 and making, you know, trying to make adventure games and stuff like that. I mean, I wasn't great at it, but it was fun. <laughs> That's awesome. That's awesome. So what did you study at MIT? And then, you know, how'd you get your start after that? Well, so um, it's funny. I like I actually wrote my own major at MIT. It was a little, little known loophole that I discovered. So after trying a few things like, uh, you, know, um, you know, mechanical, electrical and computer, like there was an awful lot. MIT is a tough school. And there were a lot of people spending a lot of time working. I mean, there are single classes that can take 60 hours a week. And frankly, I just wasn't into that. Yeah. <laughs> and, and also like my summers, I, I was working at AT&T Bell Labs. I went to school on a scholarship. Um, and, uh, and I was, you know, programming with people, you know, who had degrees and stuff. I was not only keeping up, I was doing a pretty good job. So I was like, well, you know, recognize that I don't necessarily need a degree to do this work. <laughs> I could already do it. 
Um, so I wrote, I found this program at MIT and had been an accredited major and um, there weren't enough interest, there wasn't enough interest in it. So the way these accreditations work, it's weird. The shell was accredited, but the individual courses were no longer there. But MIT's, it's an awesome school. It can be way more flexible than most people think. And they said, look, you know, get some advisors to sign off on a, on a directed program that you guys designed together. And, you know, that could be your major. So I created one that I called Information Systems Engineering. And it was, it was, yeah, it was great. I mean, I got to take stuff that I loved. It was probably about a year and a half of an uh, MBA from Sloan School. I took, they let you take grad courses as an undergrad. It was awesome. Um, plus a bunch of grad school courses uh, at, at MIT. And it was combining computer science, but with business. So the use of technology and business, which is where I, I carry, um, you know, because I, I just always felt like, you know, people didn't know how to use tech really well and they didn't back in the 80s and 90s and so I was more fascinated with, with the confluence of tech and business and how it was going to be you know successful and changing. So what did you do coming out of MIT? Well I moved to New York to make movies. Did you really? <laughs> yeah what else do you do man? <laughs> That's awesome. That's a longer story um, but uh, I've got a, a very zigzaggy past. Um, yeah, you know, one of my best friends and fraternity brothers from college was a, uh, grew up in the film business and he and I loved to write together and uh, just thought we wanted to be the Coen brothers and we tried to make short films. We made a short film and produced some other short stuff and we wrote screenplays together, all that kind of stuff. But, but you know, I couldn't get a I, I tried to get a job at CompUSA, right? Like to sell computers. Right. MIT degree. MIT they wouldn't grad. hire me. <laughs> no, they didn't, they, wouldn't, they didn't even call me in for an interview and they were, they had just put that new shop. I mean, they're out of business now, but there's a new shop on 5th and 38th. And I lived on 38th and 6th. So it was a block away. So I was like, this is great. I get a job there. They didn't hire me. And I didn't know how to bartend and all this. So like, you know, and having an MIT degree rather than just being a waiter, I, you know, you got to pay the bills while you're trying to make movies. So I figured I'd, you know, get a job. And I ended up getting a startup and a high, you know, job at a startup high tech company. And that end of my career took off a little faster than the film career. <laughs> Uh, I that's why I love doing the podcast. I always get little nuggets of gold of people's backgrounds. Like uh, Kent Bennett from Bessemer, he was uh, actually a, like a, a screenwriter in Hollywood, making uh, you know scripts for for movies, and you know so that was his background before getting into venture. It's awesome. It's a tough business, man. But you know, my 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 um, buddy who did that uh, ended up you know writing screenplays in Hollywood for a number of years. Nick Kelman, he was great. That's that's awesome. So, uh, what, so was Opus your first company that you started or was there, I mean, you know, after college type of companies? Well, so, so when I mentioned I got a job, like, you know, to, to pay the bills while trying to write screenplays and stuff, um, it was at a startup company called Conley Corporation. Okay. Um, and it's very relevant to, uh, to, to talk about. And it's actually a good story of how I got there, if you want to hear it. But, um, yeah, totally. Um, yeah, so, so, you know, I was new to New York City. And, you know, I've been there visiting college, whatever. And I was frankly kind of afraid of the subway system and taxis, just the craziness. I, I did grow up in Oklahoma. So even right, though I was exactly. forever, it was a big, I mean, it's an insanely large city. So I didn't want to have to do any of that to get to work. So I thought um, I wanted to be able to walk to work. And so like, that was the easiest way to get around, right? So then I went to the yellow pages. People may not know what those are. <laughs> look it up and, or the, and in the white pages which was the you know the business to business section actually I looked up computers which was huge it was like an inch thick in New York and I went to, okay I'll go to computer software and services it was about 36 pages and it was still a big chunk of businesses and I said okay well how do I narrow this down I said well my name starts with CC so I'll go to the C's 
No I'm going to pick the first four companies I can walk to from my apartment. Oh my God. <laughs> and Conley Corporation was the second one on the list. They didn't even know they were in the yellow, in the white pages. Like right. they just snuck into there. There was a tiny startup of 10 people, um, great entrepreneurs, and uh, still working with a bunch of that group today as investors, partners, whatever. But, but anyway, I walked in there. They didn't even have a sign, anything. They were desperate for someone who could do you know, C programming on Unix machines, which uh, that's all I did at AT&T in the summers. They invented both C and Unix, right? So uh, it, was, it was fascinating. It was funny. I walked in there and dropped off a resume and got a job. And, you know, it's, uh, you know, it's, it's and I, I, as I said, been connected to that. was founded by Rick Calvillo. Um, you, you may know Rick. He started yeah, Nanagans here Rick. In, in Boston. Yeah. yeah. So that Rick was my first boss, dude. <laughs> no way. Yeah, he just did Nanagans, right? Nanagans was his last time. Yep, yeah, yeah. And I was an investor in Nanagans. So I actually connected Rick and Claude who the co Rick had started getting the engines going. Claude was my co-founder course advisor and Rick needed a technical co-founder. And so I put the two of them together. They're uh, and both awesome guys. I mean, just, you know, great. Too funny. So then how'd you come up with the idea for Opus? Well, so, so after Conley, I went to an advertising agency. After that, I, I reconnected with the, um, I've been CFO at Conley, um, Ari Horowitz, who actually has been working with us now too, mm-hmm. at Thrasio. Longer story, buddy of mine. But he, um, he had been at a, uh, had started a service company. We were trying to start a company. This was late '90s. Everybody was, and I'd always kind of wanted to. Um, and so they had a, a network consulting shop. So it was, you know, a, like consulting and body shop basically for network engineers. Like people couldn't install enough routers and switches, and so they were hired. They were growing like crazy. And they, to, in order to manage the project, you, know, you got to put 10 people, you know, in China installing Cisco routers. You need to know what skills you had, what, you know, um, wh- who was available, you know, what languages they spoke, all this stuff, right? And, you know, we, and we needed a staffing manager to manage that. So I actually just said, hey, I could probably write some software to do this, right? Or I, I built a team to do that. So I hired a C, you know, technical head of tech and I hired an outsourced team and we built this. I studied, you know, I, I talked to friends at McKinsey, at Bain, at all these other shops of how they did staffing. And it was crazy. I mean, they literally just had resumes and desk drawers and they would just, they, these partners would call each other and be like, hey, look, I need this Unix guy. He's on your project until May, but I need him in early April. Can we trade? Yeah, okay. And, and they would put together teams to go do projects. So I built software to enable all that stuff. And it was crazy. So while they would have, one staffing manager for every 20 or 30, you know, professionals. We had one guy managing 160 engineers, one person because of the software. They could, you could go in and he could put like, you know, here's the skills I need, here's the dates I need them, here's where I need them. And it would match everybody up, you know, 100% down to 10, right? And, you could, and he could do all the figuring and, 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 and horse trading on his own. So it was interesting. So that's where, that's what Opus came from. That software became, so we sold, that company, Great Peak, was sold to, uh, US Web. I don't know if you remember those guys back I do, in the day. Yeah, US Web CKS. Yeah. US Web CKS. Yep. Great group. Um, great guys. Uh, you know, Joe and Toby. Um, so we sold we sold it to them. And at the same time we spun Opus out as a as a new entity, a new company, and raised money for that separately. US Web took some of the uh, you know, um, interest in it and stuff and uh, took off from there. Very cool. So yeah, that became a big, big business. I mean you you took it to, to a public offering. I'm the, I'm the poster child for the uh, dot-com boom and the bust. The bust is the part that I feel more acutely. <laughs> there, was that, there was actually software value that you created. It wasn't just, you know, for, you know a dot-com like the infamous pets.com, right? It was actually- No, although pets is a great idea today, right? You, yeah, chewy. <laughs> chewy and barks, yeah. right? It's all timing. 
Um, I mean, Opus was, we had, a, we, had a, we had a great business. I mean, we had, it was two multi-pronged actually. We had enterprise software for doing talent management and stuff, right? And then, um, then also talent procurement we added to that, which was a huge piece to, to rationalize that when a you know, big company like Lucent would have literally 150 different staffing companies providing the people around the world and not adhering to rate cards and all that stuff. So we did that. And then we also had a site called freeagent.com, you might remember, which was literally an early version of LinkedIn. I mean, you know, we, we acquired this company called Industry Insight, which were these guys who built this great tech that was, um, you know, it, was, it would tell you you're two degrees from this person, six from that one. You know, you could connect and do all that stuff. Like, you know, it was just not quite exactly it. It was a little too early. But the idea with, behind that, free agent, we got, grew really big. I mean, we won, you know, we spent a ludicrous amount of money on marketing and advertising. We won Clio Awards for our ads. They were, they were fantastic. The work that Christian uh, Bond did back then was amazing. And, uh, you know, and, and what it was, was it was supposed to be the pool. We had a million free agents on it. And it was the first site where you could bid, you could go post a project and workers could say, you know, could bid on it, right? Mm-hmm. Upwork was, was, uh, came out of all that whole space. They were another company called Elance originally, I believe. Yep. But I don't know if they copied us or just had the same idea, but we were the first ones out there doing it. Um, and we had a million people on there and had e-portfolios was your you know, LinkedIn resume and stuff. So the idea was that that would plug into all of our, enterprise software customers right so yeah, i mean we sold millions of dollars in software i mean but we were mostly selling to you know the razor and sapients mm-hmm. and yeah. of the world and Buy when it. the dot-com crash happened those guys all just the yeah. first thing they cut was massive software purchases and stuff it was tough yeah no doubt but yeah we took it public and uh, you know we raised 50 million privately for that so i did the whole sand hill road thing you know learned uh, how to do the pitching and you know the, the deck and the business plan on and then we took it public and um yeah it was, it was i mean great great learning experience amazing people i met there and are still many of my good friends today um we got a great experience building a company we got up to about three or four hundred people wow. um at open including some acquisitions we did and stuff like that um so yeah you know it was, it was that that was my business school <laughs> <laughs> oh, good business school uh so next is so course advisor is that what what, what was next or well, so there's a, there's a hiatus there. I was so burned out after the whole public process and, and mm-hmm. stuff. And, and that was in New York that um, I wasn't even sure I wanted to stay in business, frankly. Like there had been a lot of hokey stuff that went on too. And I wasn't really psyched about. And I, I just, but yeah, I just really burned myself out. So I um, bought a motorcycle and uh, packed up my stuff. I told you it's a zigzag path here, dude. This is awesome. I sublet my apartment and just took off from New York with no direction, nowhere to be. And, uh, you know, it was an amazing time. I ended up living on the bike for almost a year, you know, and um, one of my best friends in the world, another college fraternity brother who was, uh, had been a VC and all this stuff, I thought it was like, you know, stuck in that Wall Street world. I mean, he surprised me. He said he, he, he got his yearly bonus. It was enough to pay off all his school loans and stuff. And he called me up one day and goes, I quit. I'm going to get a bike, learn how to ride, and I'm coming with you. Wow. It was incredible. So the two of us left New York together on motorcycles, uh, you know, and spent three months driving around the country, Canada, northern U.S. Um, we ended up splitting up on the West Coast. He drove back, and I kept on the bike for a while. But so, um, yeah, I, I, you know, I ended up in all that in that time. I mean, it was uh, we could talk for hours about that and that trip. <laughs> I know it sounds like a whole another podcast. <laughs> yeah, you know, and I also experienced you know people you, they think you take a company public, you know, and you're loaded. I mean, I lost money on it. Right. I invested what little money I had as a 28 year old. I had some from like US Web and stuff, but I lost it all. And I came out of Opus in debt up to my ears. Wow. Um, and I was on this motorcycle. I remember it was a penny stock at the time. 
think we'd sold it to Artemis, but it was like a penny stock. And I remember being in the middle of Canada in the mountains in like middle of the night and the stock cratered one night from its usual 40 cents to like five cents. And I'd been using just even at 40 cents, it could, I didn't need much money to live on a motorcycle. So it was helping me with a thousand bucks a month here and there. It was, it was gone. And I remember just sitting there going, well, all right, <laughs> what do I do from here? You know? <laughs> but um, so I ended up in New Mexico. Again, we got to cover, there's a company because uh, my parents live there. So I went, I was writing a book um, and I thought I, I could finish it better there and focus on it, a fiction book that I had in my head since college. And so I went there thinking it would take me a couple of weeks, ended up getting stuck through the winter, um, ended up meeting my wife on match.com while I was, cause I didn't know anyone in Albuquerque. So I figured I'd get on match and start to meet some people um, and met her. And um, then, you know, ended up staying there for a few years. And, and we were at, you know, while I was at uh, brunch with uh, her best friend and, and her best friend's family there, I had her best friend's dad um, was this amazing, brilliant engineer, nuclear scientist who had been writing this software and data for um, the Electric Power Research Institute, EPRI. And he created this amazing predictive maintenance package that the nuclear industry had to do maintenance better than anybody, right? right, right. Um, because they can't afford to have anything go wrong. So he had created a way to tie preventive maintenance to reliability. And he built a software, a way to model this, this complex equipment, pumps, motors, valves, you know, transformers in, in data. And it built a database and then software around it, all for EPRI, which is a globally renowned organization, if you don't know them. Um, and we were talking about it. And I was like, this is awesome. This is fascinating. This could be a company. So we started Asset Performance Technologies. <laughs> I just couldn't stop. I got back into it, which was a great, great company. Um, and I, I mentioned that. It, it, so we started that in like 03, 04. And it just sold in 2017, maybe 2018. We sold it to Uptake. Um, great deal. Great company. Um, but that was, you know, kind of my entree back into stuff. So um, I ended up with, so Course Advisor comes after that and that, um, I tried to raise money for a company in New Mexico with a couple of people and no one wanted it. Like all the people I knew were on the coasts and they were like, yeah. if you move here, we would probably fund you. But the guys didn't want to move. The two founders were older gentlemen. And like, you know, um, so, you know, what, what happened was I, we had a lot of consulting work and the business was, we made money. I mean, it was, you know, we, it, could, it could pay for itself, but it didn't need me as a full-time CEO. And it was not going to be the opportunity I thought it could be. And I had a, uh, made a great friend in Albuquerque who uh, took over as CEO. Uh, Mark Benick and uh, well, and and been doing business uh, dev stuff for them too. And uh, I, I was contacting, I was trying to figure out my next thing. And I contacted again my friends from college, some of my fraternity brothers and stuff. And I, I had an idea to, to create a, a gambling company, whole other story <laughs> uh, for betting, which Canner Fitzgerald ended up starting and doing very well with in, uh, in basically prop bets in, uh, in Vegas. But um, I contacted this, the smartest math guy from our that I knew from my time at school, one of them. And, and he was up here in Boston working on some, doing search technology stuff. And, and they needed somebody to come help run the, the company to build this up. And that turned into Course Advisor. So, so I came back to Boston to do that. And Course Advisor, I remember, was like a, a very successful company and, and a very trying time to build a company. Yeah, it was a rocket ship. <laughs> I mean, we actually sold it right before the trying time. I mean, Course Advisor, we started in 05. And I mean, I mean I've mean, i redefined rocket ships since we started Thrasio, but <laughs> Course Advisor was pretty fast um, and came out of a you know great group of companies um, that are now the, the Kogo Labs companies, right, and family of companies. You might know that here in Boston. Yeah, Dave wasn't. Was Dave London, who, another yeah. amazing entrepreneur who has just started so many successful companies. So Dave's my fraternity brother. And oh, really? we've always, yeah, yeah, we've got a great, 
group and a tight group. And so, uh, I mean, he's the one who, so, you know, called me back to, to Boston, him and uh, Mika Adler. that started uh, what was called Adriplex at the time and then became Kogo Labs. And, uh, and Mika, he, he did Fixu. Yeah, Mika is one wow. of my best friends, another fraternity brother. <laughs> so Amazing. yeah it's it's tight end together my network is the boston there's a big boston network well, there needs to be a roundup of uh you know people from your fraternity you know it's interesting so i was proposing that to some some professors at sloan i know we were talking about this because there was a period of about eight to ten years um where my fraternity turned out a ridiculous number of entrepreneurs i mean i don't you know you know mike sailor founder of microstrategy um wow. yeah um <laughs> yeah. dave blunden was part of that um you know, Sid Banerjee, who uh, now has Clarabridge, but he was part of the founding crew of MicroStrategy. There's a period of about eight to 10 years where there were a ton of entrepreneurs with a lot of success. But I was talking to these Sloan guys. He said, you know what's funny? Like every living group we've talked to, every fraternity has a period of eight to 10 years where they turn out a ridiculous number of entrepreneurs. And it's like we, we'd, they'd seen it in many others. And he was starting to look at it and talk anecdotally. But uh, I wonder if there's something you could... Uh, figure out because it doesn't doesn't last on either end but it was a, it was an interesting time all right so course advisor was acquired by washington post um which was obviously yep. a great outcome and that, that was like a big exit you know of the day and era like that was like a like i remember that was like big news in boston yeah yeah it was great and in two years i mean it was great and the post post companies are just i mean i can't say enough good stuff about them and don graham i mean what a great group of companies that was and what a great, great people they were, they all were. I mean, it was really, it was really refreshing, you know, to me, um, just to see all that and to see, particularly after, you know, my experiences in New York weren't always perfect. So, you know, seeing that and coming back into that was great. So what, what came next? Well, so in the long story after course advisor, um, you know, I, I, I ended up starting a company. I was looking for, for what to do. I invested in a bunch of different stuff angel investors what you do right good way to, to lose some money um and uh, <laughs> maybe you get lucky and make some um and i started a company called constellation ck which does uh it was seo i got connected to my my co-founder there a great super smart guy um, uh, um and he had uh, he lives in pakistan but had done had lived here all over the world and gone to school at caltech and he won mit's first uh business plan competition with with open the organization of pakistani entrepreneurs um, for his, he had a ticket selling business online. And so we, uh, we actually combined efforts and, and created what, what was going to be, I, I hoped would be an SEO using search engine optimization and using this tech they built, he built for ticket selling to combine the two to be able to sell a lot of tickets online. Um, the idea was to partner with properties like the Washington Post who had a lot of SEO power and then could use that if they knew how to, to sell tickets. But man, it was a hard, every magazine and newspaper that was losing money hand over fist just did not want to make money. They were all so afraid of Google, they didn't understand it and they couldn't understand our pitch. So we ended up, I mean, it was, it, it was a good business. It still exists. Um, although the ticket industry, it's basically was destroyed in the last two, two months. It's been around for 10 years in the last couple of months. Yeah. Um, so the team had gotten much smaller over the years and we did some education lead gen through that site also. So that part is keeping it alive and keeping a small team focused on it. And that, that team is in Pakistan. Um, I haven't really done much with that business. Uh, you know, it's been on autopilot and my partner running it mostly for the last five years or so, but, but it was neat for a while. We, you know, and we sold, you know, we were selling over a million a month in tickets for a lot of years in there. And, you know, I mean, we don't take all that. That's mostly, you know, it's a marketplace. So, right. so between the buyer and seller, but we took a piece on that and it was fun. And then did some consulting and stuff out of that. Um, and that's actually where Orion grew out of. So okay. Constellation was a big idea. 
you know, I, I, I would ho I hope to one point to have partners with 35 different, you know, newspapers around the country or, or magazines and be selling tickets for each one of them, but never, never materialized. It was just a, too hard to sell. So again, it didn't, didn't need me. There wasn't anything I, I didn't might need my, my expertise or skills for anymore. So I was looking around for different things to do. And that was when Rick was starting, um, uh, uh So, you know, Rick and me, and another fraternity brother named Neil Robertson, who started a company. He started a bunch of companies. Um, he was at Net Genesis years ago here, and then sure. I remember um, Net Genesis. Yeah, yeah. No, Neil's a great entrepreneur. Very been very successful. He was starting another company with. We were all getting together and talking about what our next things were to be, and that was when Mika went and started Fixu, you know, and, and Rick was starting Nanigans, and I invested in all in all these, and then um, so. Um, I've been looking at different stuff and I've been following Rick and, and what he was doing at Nannings all along, obviously. And one of my guys at partners at Constellation um, had been working with them on a consulting basis because he needed, he was growing so fast, needed the help. And we just saw, you know, like I knew, I've seen that picture before, service software company early on needs to do services because people don't know how to use the software properly. But at some point they should just be building the software and people should use them. You know, there should be other people doing those services. Mm -hmm. So we were just sitting there on the side, you know, saying, Hey, when you're ready, hand us the accounts. I'll build a services company that will be your prime partner for making, you know, using your software well. And, you know, that's what Orion grew out of. So, um, you know, we pretty at some point, those people inside of Anningans were too overloaded and said to my partner, Scott, Scott Briggs, another phenomenal entrepreneur here in the Boston area, great guy. Um, you know, he was, he said, Hey, I'll run it. They're like, okay, great. <laughs> Here's another one. Here's another one. And then, you know, we obviously grew beyond you know, just Manigan's referrals, where they really helped us get going. And, uh, you know, we built a, you know, a reasonable sized uh, performance marketing agency on using Manigan's, right? And uh, Facebook marketing. And it was the time when Facebook was just advertising was just exploding, right? Mm -hmm. 2013, 14, 15, right in there. And that company was acquired by Elite SEM. Yes, it was. Yep. Um, and Mountain Gate, which was uh, the private equity backers behind Elite. Elite is a phenomenal company. You know, like we we actually, so I knew the guys at Elite, um, Ben Kirchner, who had started that, right? And and um, and known about their, um, like what they did at the company. Like they had a phenomenal culture. They were known for that, right? Um, and so, and we'd actually borrowed some ideas from them because of our mutual friends that told us things they did and whatever to build a great culture. And I always said like, uh, you know, again, culture is super important inside the company. Everyone talks about that on how many people really appreciate and understand. And I think we did a great job of that at Orion too. But I, so you don't want to just hand it off to anybody, right? And I was like, if there was any place to go, for me, it always felt like it would be the elite guys because they had just done such a great job of it inside of their company. And it just, it worked out well that that, that timing was it was. We weren't actually looking to do anything, but, um, you know, it, 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 was a, it was a good matchup and the time turned out to be really good. Well, let's uh, let's talk about your current company, Thrasio. So, what? How did you come up with the idea, the name of the company? Like, what, what kind of led you down the path of you know starting uh, this new venture? One thing grows into another, grows into. I mean, you see this daisy chain as we talk. So, yep. so at Orion, um, Nanigans was just phenomenal software. I mean, it was still the best software out there. I think, mm -hmm. um, you know, it, it, but it was complex. It was complex. I mean, you had to know how to use it. And we used it in ways that other people didn't didn't really appreciate. Because our team had been around there since the start, right? Scott went in consulting with them as the eighth or tenth person. Um, so. That meant that what, you know, we weren't doing like buying likes for Coke and Pepsi and their big like competition, like which anyone could do. We were doing performance marketing on Facebook, right? We were some of the first ones to really 
turn it over and show that it can be used as a customer acquisition platform cost effectively, right? So, you know, we all of our customers then turned out to be people who needed to cost effectively acquire customers, which were e-commerce companies and lead generation companies, right? So credit card offers and things or big e-commerce players. And we had some of the top names in, in the business. I mean, all, pretty much all the top names in the business were using Nanigan software, whether it was with us or with Nanigan's or on their own, right? With, I mean, Uber, Guilt Group, you know, Chewy, BarkBox, which we built, like all these different, these different ones. So, and you know, so, so as that business grew, I was noticing again, more and more, and I was seeing the whole trend in, in happening in D to C, right? In e-commerce, right? Mm -hmm. And that was really starting to blow up. Um, and so what happened was, you know, it's, I mean, a simplified way of looking at it. Like we, the companies coming asking us through the advertising were made up of fewer and fewer people shipping product from Asia and we were building the whole business. <laughs> like, you know, they're like, we've got our product here, get us customers. And we'd do that, and then they'd go get a 30 to $50 million valuation to something or sell it, and we got paid our five, 10 grand a month, whatever, for, for building right. the entire customer base. At some point, I was just like, hey, maybe I don't need them. Like, <laughs> right. what I have is the magic. Now, that's a vast simplification, but that was really the core, the, the heart of the idea was it started there, right? So then we started looking, and I, at the same time, we were getting a lot of leads, I mean, several a day, I mean, Really, you know, of um, smallish companies doing one, two, three million a year, you know, on Shopify, right? And they wanted to try Facebook advertising. Well, you know, we had we had minimums. If you weren't spending fifty, hundred grand a month, we couldn't take you on as a client at, at Orion. And look, one thing entrepreneurs need to understand is focus, yeah. right? And and I've I've learned this the hard way. I've lived through it a lot of times. But like Orion's business was an agency doing Facebook performance advertising, Google, you know, whatever else. Mm -hmm. It was not to incubate other businesses and things. So, you know, while I, I would have loved to look at those you know, startups, they offer us equity and stuff like that. You know, they wanted to spend five grand. I knew they needed to spend 30 to 50 to even start to figure it out. But they didn't have that kind of cash, you know, so and they weren't willing to. And so I was looking at that. And um, talking to my partner in Thrasio, Josh, he's been a friend for 10 years, had been a customer at Constellation years ago. Um, and we were talking about what could be done, what kind of different opportunities were out there. He was looking for something to do too, and is a, absolutely the most brilliant, probably one of the most brilliant people I've ever worked with, period. But like financial and deal-making, the guy's off the charts. Um, and so, and, and we were kind of playing around with this, with the e-commerce stuff, everything was going on. I was telling him about all these leads we're seeing in small companies. Like, you know, if I had, few million bucks, you know, I could, I could take 10 of these companies and you know what, I turn five of them from 2 million a year to 20 and five of them might just stay at 2 million, but they're profitable. So, you know, I'll waste a million dollars testing them, but they're, they're still there. They're still good. And he was like, you know, we could probably raise money to roll these up and, you know, and, 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 and people would buy that. And, 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 we, we, and then we could bring that expertise. You could build the performance marketing on it. So we started down that road. And that's actually so, so then at the, at that time, then you start saying, well, if you're going to be doing e-commerce, we got to look at Amazon. It should be a channel is what we thought, right? <laughs> Might as well sell there. And I'd also been doing some Amazon playing around inside of Orion. So some of our Orion customers were saying, hey, you're so good at performance marketing. Maybe you could do our, our Amazon marketing too. And we didn't know how to do it. We didn't know anything about it, but I'd started to learn. And I'd had some guy, you know, through my network, I'd met some great folks. They were training some of my people. So we got connected and, and uh, to some folks in the space and started learning about the Amazon um, space. And you know, uh, well, the the thing that really kicked it off was connecting to um, uh, Viral Launch. Uh, Casey Gauss, the founder of Viral Launch, and that's a great software platform. There's a few you know main software platforms out there that Amazon sellers use um, to, to research Amazon 
products and pricing, all that stuff. Um, you know, like Helium 10 is another fantastic platform, right? Um, but so we, we got connected to Casey at the time. And, you know, the, he was building this company, growing like crazy, needed some help. So Josh went in to consult with him and help out. And, uh, you know, to, to, and raise some money and sort of help put some financial structure around the company, all this stuff. And at the, at the time, we also got to learn from Casey about, you know, how Amazon works and what's going on and, you know, what we can do with it. Um, and so, uh, you know, in the process of doing that, basically looking at that, we said, hey, you know, this whole roll-up process would be easier on Amazon than, you know, independent Shopify websites or you know, there's 30 e-commerce platforms, WooCommerce. BigCommerce, all that stuff. Like, you know, if you're going to acquire small e-commerce businesses, you're going to have a pretty heavy tech back infrastructure to put them all together and make it all work and be smooth and all that. And on Amazon, it's all just on Amazon. And we didn't really know much about the Amazon market for third-party sellers or anything. So we started looking into that. And, you know, as they say, the rest is history. <laughs> I mean, we, we turned over and said, we don't want any of this independent stuff. Let's just try it on Amazon. We didn't know how big it could be or would get. But, you know, the downside, I as I looked at it, you know, like, you know, Josh and I were looking at this with a, you know, and, and the downside was we buy a few and we have a $10 million, $20 million Amazon business, like, you know, that makes money. Right. So it was like, why not give it a try, right? <laughs> well, since then, a lot has happened. I mean, that's like, it's been a little over two years. And uh, from what I was reading on, on Crunchbase, you know, your most recent uh, financing round was $110 million, uh, raised a, a total of $163 million. And, um, you know, a very, uh, actually the total, the total is about 250 million. Okay. Yeah. Right. yeah. Okay. We've got uh, about a, so, so it's about a hundred and about 163 or something like that in debt. And then, you know, the rest is in is equity. And so, the, yeah. And the valuation came in almost 800 million too. And that's, you know, a couple of years in. Yeah. Yeah, that's so. I mean, look, there's a lot of a lot of people look at that. I mean, you know how it is. Like, if people don't yeah. understand venture and finance and all this stuff. Look at that and go, "Wow, eight hundred million! You know, you must have a hundred million in your pocket." No, you don't. It's not cash. It's not real. It's it's yeah. numbers. Uh, you know, and a deck and a spreadsheet. And you know, there's enterprise value, which includes your debt, right? As opposed to you know market. Uh, you know, um, uh, you know the price of your stock. Uh, you know, in a, in a market, for instance, the, the price of the company, right? So. Um, well, the market cap is different from that is what I, you know, it comes down to. I don't want to get into a lesson of those different things. You can go look up on Investopedia, but, but no, look, it's fantastic. It's, it's unbelievable. I mean, it's, you know, and, but this company has performed in a way that's been unbelievable to, to all of us also. I mean, frankly, since we, you know, really started bringing people on and doing this, it's been less than two years. Like we had the idea and we were messing around with it in the summer of 18. Um, I, you know, I went out and bought the first business, you know, just, I, you know, said, hey, let's give this a try. And then we created the, the company and rolled it all together and then raised some capital for it. But we didn't really, you know, start raising the capital and put it together until probably August, August, September of 2018. Wow. And uh, yeah, and that's when everything, you know, and then it just took off like, you know, from there really rapidly. <laughs> well, so how does it work? So you find these brands that are selling on Amazon and then you acquire them. Like just talk about the actual, you know, the business model. Yeah, I mean, so, you know, it's interesting. I mean, it's, so it, it's not, you know, Amazon has been the most potent machine for entrepreneur creation, like I think the world has ever seen. And it's the combination of Amazon and Chinese manufacturing, right, outsourced manufacturing and global shipping, right, how all this stuff has been just put in place in the last 20 years, which makes it so that, you know, a, a, a stay-at-home, you know, dad in Tulsa, can decide he wants to get into business and can go source 
salt shakers on Alibaba, find a manufacturer, go back and forth till he gets the design he wants, create his own brand, and then throw it up on Amazon and start selling. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's unbelievable. And you've got uh, overnight, you've got you know exposure to hundreds of millions of customers, right? So, you know, there's the, you know people hear about the Amazon sellers, but they have literally millions of sellers. These think of each one of them as a product manager, right? Trying to create the next great product and launch it. That's why Amazon is so phenomenally successful in crushing Walmart and others, right? Mm -hmm. So these are like solopreneurs to a large degree. Sometimes it's a couple of people, two friends out of college or something, um, pretty smart. And they, they, you know, if you got into it at the right time, you know, 2015 is when the stuff started really exploding, I think, 2014, 15. I mean, the marketplace has been there, but really started taking off then. Um, you know, if you're in the right category and you did the right stuff, I mean, you gotta be smart, right? You have to have a great product. Um, you know, that's where it all starts. But then you got to play the game. I mean, there's a thousand things to do. And, you know, the control panels and, you know, the, ad the advertising. You know, there's more and more all the time, right? But, but basically, you know, they, they get on there and they're selling their products. And they learn their space very well. And they have the relationship with the supplier there. So, so what happens is it's, you know, at some point they've got a, you know, a, a phenomenal product. And you can call it, they, you know, it's a business. They may have an LLC, whatever. But it's really just a single person with a product and a listing on Amazon. And, you know, they the people were just starting to learn they could sell this right as as a as a business essentially right in 2015 2016 right and there hasn't been much of a market for it um but so we came in you know initially looking there's a lot, a lot of business brokers in the space you talk to them you get to know them all most of them are all of them know us now um make these relationships and they are out there at the conferences you know we're out there now too i mean most of most of our leads come from our you know just inbound now because people know us in the space mm -hmm. and sellers refer other sellers to people have sold to us tell their friends hey this, this is great great experience sell to these guys so it's getting around like that but yeah i mean so it's we're not like it's we don't go necessarily and, and find a product and say let's go buy that right. it's more people said hey i want to sell there's a lot of them. We look at them all. We say that one's great. That one's great. That one works for us, you know. And and we pick the ones that fit our thesis, our ideas, what we're looking for, and our and our great businesses. Again, it's got to start with a great product, right? Mm -hmm. Which means you've got you know top fantastic reviews and a lot of them, you know. So you're top of the page, right? I mean, Amazon's a search engine, so you know we want people that are ranking, you know, at the top or near the top or have a very solid position wherever they are, right? And and so you can you know you can be assured to some degree that 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 product is going to stay there and you can have some understanding where the revenue is going to be and where it's going to go right now once you acquire a business like what the, the the solo entrepreneur or the you know the couple of people working like do they exit the business or do they yeah. stay on or, yeah well they exit the business in general um you know i mean for a couple of reasons for one you know we've we've made i don't know 40 some odd millionaires in the last year so you know they're, they're not necessarily wanting to take a job right <laughs> even with us um, but, you know, look, these people are entrepreneurs, right? They're not necessarily wanting to be employees somewhere. Again, particularly also because we just paid them a lot of money usually. So, um, no, I mean, the, the thinking behind this initially was, I mean, look, the, these, these are, the sellers are all, I mean, it's amazing how much they know about their space on Amazon, right? They just right. load that page like, oh, that guy changed his price. That guy changed his picture. They know their competitors. They know everything. But at the end of the day, they can't be as, like, as good at everything you need to do to make an Amazon, make these products and that Amazon business successful, right? I mean, and it's gotten more complicated over time. Performance marketing is, I know it, I've been doing this for 10 years, Google, Facebook, Instagram, whatever, you name it. Mm -hmm. it's, it's complicated. There are professionals who excel at this and know it. So I've got a team that is phenomenal, right? And it's a large team now that can manage this. We use technology 
that as a single seller, you can't even get access to. It doesn't make sense to buy, but for us, it does, right? And 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 we use that, you know, across the uh, you know across the, the whole e- ecosystem. So we're able to do that more effectively. Like supply chain, you know, I've got a global supply chain. I've got a killer team there, there, an amazing leader who's you know run billion dollar supply, multi billion dollar supply chains around the world before. And you know he knows how to make sure all the trains run on time, and because you got to get your product to Amazon, right? So we can do that better than the seller, right? And we can usually negotiate. It's not about you know economies of scale, traditional. It's where everyone thinks, oh, you don't get an economy of scale by rolling these together. That's a dumb business. Oh, but it's not. There's smart things we're doing behind the scenes, right? Yeah. And, and we have very smart investors who who would not who would, wouldn't invest if there weren't something else going on here. And then you know managing the products. I mean, there are literally we've got checklists of over 500 things that we look at when we bring a, when we onboard a product um, into our, into our system, or our platform. And a lot of those that, you know, you may be a great seller, but you just can't stay on top of these. It could be a checkbox five pages deep into seller central that you forgot to check that can make a difference of 5% in your conversion rate or something or 10%, but all these little things add up. Right. And you got to stay on top of it all the time. You got to stay on top of customer service and alerts and competitors and what they're doing. And it starts to get pretty tough. I mean, I think for these sellers, particularly they get into a space that's doing a few million bucks a year, there's competition. You know, Amazon is, it's in many ways great. They're giving more freedom to the sellers. They're giving us more tools. There's more advertising inventory. There's DSP, there's videos, all this stuff. But if you're an individual so, you know, entrepreneur, even two people, like it becomes overwhelming. I mean, you know, now they, they introduced us, you know, supplier rating score. So you get rated as how good you manage the supply chain for them, getting your product to them. I mean, you know, these are places that they didn't expect to have to be experts. And so that's what we can do, right? I've built a team that can do all of these things and do them exceptionally well. And so we can take, you know, look, these businesses are their babies, man. I get it. Like they've grown this up from nothing and, and we can take good care of them and, you know, and grow them after they, you know, sell to us. And so that's really the whole, you know, story and value proposition. Now, what's the current uh, size of the company in terms of employees, growth plans ahead? Well, so, I mean, every day it's a, it's a different number. <laughs> tell you. I mean, so we're probably about 250 people worldwide. Um, you know, last I checked, um, but we're hiring, you know, at a pretty fast clip. I mean, you know, 20, 30 a month. Um, you know, we have offices in the U S and Boston, like anyone is in our office right now anyway, but like we have offices in Boston, New York and Houston. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we also have offices overseas. We have three or four offices overseas in uh, the Philippines, Pakistan, um, Eastern Europe, uh, you know, Portugal, Ukraine, a uh, number of people doing all sorts of different pieces of this stuff. Um, so yeah, I mean, look, it's, it's, it's phenomenal. And we laid the, spent the time laying the foundation, right. So that we could layer onto that now, right. And getting, having the machine so that it can work and we can build from here. So you've built multiple companies, you've had exits. Well, like what's, what's your goal with Thrasio? Like what's, what's the goal for this one? You know, uh, so I don't set out explicitly with a goal. I mean, I, I just, at one point I, I realized I enjoy doing this, right. It's, um, and so I, I, I love getting groups of people together, getting them excited to go after a goal together. That's what a company is. Whether you're a Tesla or a biotech company or us, it is a group of people deciding they want to pursue a goal together and doing it. It's the people. That's all it's about. And it's about this great, the, the culture and how they want to work together and can work together. Um, so like, you know, entrepreneurs, it's interesting. Like investors can get to, if you're a big time investor, Bessemer or something you mentioned, right? They, they get to see rocket ships probably a few times here and there. They invest in a lot of stuff and now and then they get one and they double down. As an entrepreneur, you would be lucky in your entire career to see one. 
mm-hmm. right, to be part of one because you know you're not just you don't get to see 10 a year you you put like 10 years into one thing right <laughs> or, yeah. or three years or whatever so it's it's i feel really lucky to to be you know a part of this and seeing it and grow like it is i mean I, you know i've never never been around or heard ever seen something grow this quickly mm-hmm. um and, and seeing such a great team and that is a testament to the team as a testament to our people that we you know have doing this stuff they're unbelievable and you know so so i we're having a lot of fun i mean i i really you know i think we can build a phenomenal consumer products company that sells stuff that makes people happy i hope and and you know helps them in their lives whether it's work or home or whatever um and you know look at the end of the day if you produce a business that makes money like let's let's go back to business 101 which a lot of people forget or people love to make fun with the Silicon Valley model of, you know, growth before profit that, that works in many cases. It's a model. It's a model. But I, I prefer to think of the old school business, you know, buy something for X, sell it for Y, Y is greater than X and have costs that are less than that and make money. Right. If you build a business that makes money, there's always someone, there's always something to do with it. Right. You, you can take it to, to monetize it in a larger way. You can distribute the profits. You can you know, take it public. You can sell it to someone else. Right. There will be interest if you've done that. So, you know, I think step one is building a great company. And I think we can build something here that is a lasting great company, you know, that, uh, you know, and, and employs, you know, hundreds of people already and maybe thousands down the road. And, you know, from there, who knows? Let's see what happens. Well, you, you, in, on your AngelList profile, you do actually share those words of wisdom. You're like, I like a plan that has revenue month one. Right. So <laughs> generating revenue piece <laughs> That's definitely a big piece. So you've been on both sides of the equation. You've had companies that you started acquired and now you're acquiring companies. So what, what advice would you give to founders around, uh, you know, the acquisition process? Oh boy. I mean, dude, we could do a whole podcast on that. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean the important thing is to have someone experienced around advising you. Right. And then helping you like it, it, it's just a specialized area of experience and knowledge. So whether it's your attorney, you know, who's done deals before or it's a friend advisor or a small investment bank advisor, like whatever. If you, don't, if you haven't done it or been through it, you need that experience. I mean, I, I got to tell you, it's something we see in the Amazon space a lot. And when we are seeing it last, but like we have and but you'll hear about it if you go to search it, like a lot of these people like, like their first time really entrepreneurs right they've got this business doing a couple million profits suddenly it's worth some real money and they're like well my uncle's a a state attorney in florida let's just go use him and the guy torpedoes the deal he doesn't know how to do a deal like doing a state attorney work is completely (laughs) different than doing a corporate m&a transaction and you know they want to show they're adding value and they just blow it up i mean you know so the, you know, it's it's about having an experienced team around you that knows something. You don't need to pay some high-powered law firm, but there are companies and people that have done these kind of transactions, know what to expect and know what to look for, know how to communicate, right? And know what, you know, I mean, pricing and stuff like that, it is what it is. You get offers, you know, you get an offer. It is, you know, if there's a market for this, for whatever business you're in, and there's market pricing, you can know if it's fair with some experience, but, but you know, if it's good to you, it's good to you, right? But, but the, again, the important thing is to have the, someone that can that can kind of tell you, you know, how this is going to look, what it needs to do, and 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 how you need to act through the process, and how you need to be ready for it, right? A lot of people are not ready for it. I mean, I can't tell you, particularly in this space, how many businesses you know we see come to us saying we're making a, a million dollars a year in profit, and we go do the numbers. We're like, no, you're making three fifty. 
350,000, you know, or no, you're making 1.4, like, you know, like, yeah. but they really don't know it. I mean, it's, and it may sound crazy, but it's, it's fairly complicated when you think of cash flow cycles, inventory cycles, you're buying for prime day, then you're not, and you got this and that here and you're paying fees everywhere. Like, and when you allocate the money and the it's price, you know, expenses, like people, it's, it's not always so straightforward. And look, the ones you have, you need a, you know, hopefully you've got a CPA doing your books, right? Yeah, you should, right? <laughs> so you do have a better handle on this stuff and they can help you better. But again, it's CPAs who understand, you know, small business and M&A transactions and things like that. That makes a difference, right? So, you know, the most, the best advice I would give is just, you know, you need someone, some people around you that understand this stuff as advisor, board member, friend, CPA, lawyer, people in the important places in this transaction. So to give you the advice and, and help you through it. So I got one more question for you. Did uh did you finish writing the the fiction novel? <laughs> it's never never going to be published, probably. Yes, I did. It was an eight hundred page um, in need of a lot of editing, but it was you know they say everybody's got a book in them. It doesn't mean it's got to be something other people read. <laughs> but yes, I did. I did write it. Uh, not published. Maybe someday I'll go back and edit it and do something with it. Who knows? <laughs> well, Carlos, thanks so much for taking the time to walk us through. You know all the great stories. I mean, there's definitely some spinoff podcasts that we'll have to record in the future of the the micro the the motorcycle uh, hiatus. I'm sure there's a whole podcast in itself there, and I actually have tons more questions, but uh, we'll have to do a, a round two at some point. Yeah, cool. This is great. Thanks for having me on, man. Well, that's our show. I hope you found it useful and entertaining. If you did, please make sure you subscribe so you'll get future episodes. Also, please consider leaving us a five-star review and share this podcast with all of your friends and colleagues in the industry. It all really helps us out. Last but not least, don't forget to visit VentureFizz.com, the most trusted source for tech and startup jobs, news, and insights. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you next time.